0: Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Podcast, Holiday Edition. I am your host, the Grinch of Real Estate, and I'm being joined today by my favorite elf. He's an angry elf, Rob Abisola. Call me angry one more time. <laughs> if you're listening to this when it's airing, then we're wrapping up 2023, and a lot of us are spending time with loved ones. So today we're bringing you one of the most beloved episodes of this past year, our interview with Yamu Kamara.
1: Yeah. you know We've heard a lot of inspiring stories over the years on this show, but Yamu's story really struck a chord with people and with myself personally. I remember choking up during the interview and uh you guys were like, what's the question? And I was like, <clears throat> yes, that's right. What happened next in your story? And uh it was a really just inspirational story. It's one of my favorite that we've ever heard on the show, specifically because it just shows you what's possible in the world of real estate, no matter what's holding you down. But it's not just her story
0: that's impressive. It's also her results. Yamu is making over $80,000 a month from her real estate portfolio. And she breaks down exactly how she did it in just two years, all with strategies that are still relevant today, like house hacking and medium-term rentals.
1: And by the way, to everyone listening, we so appreciate you being a part of the Bigger Pockets community. We love you. We thank you. We're grateful for everything you do for us. So please, from the bottom of our hearts, enjoy this episode. Welcome, Yamu, to the Bigger Pockets podcast. How are you this morning?
2: I'm doing great. Thank you for having me.
0: Yes, let's jump right into this thing. I want to hear about your story. So tell me, where are you originally from? And can you give us an idea how you grew up?
2: Sure. So my name is Yamundao Kumara, but I go by Yamu for short. I'm from West Africa, a small country called the Gambia, West Coast. It's by Senegal, it's a little country inside Senegal, literally. So it's about 2 point something million. I'm the seventh child uh, of my family. And, yeah, I I grew up in that small village. I lost my mom when I was two, and I lost my dad when I was 11. So I was raised by my elder sister. And, yeah, there's a little background about me.
0: So what was it like growing up there? Most of us have not traveled to the continents of Africa, much less where you're from. Tell us a little bit about what daily life was like.
2: Yeah, so it's more of... We live in extended family. So when my, um, my dad, when my mom passed, I was two. Uh, when my dad passed, before my dad passed, he was really sick. So my sister was forced to get married. So she took me with her and my brother, my elder brother was like four or five years older than me. So I grew up as an orphan in her in-laws house. Yeah. It was hard growing up in the, um, uh, in, in an extended family, uh, that you don't belong in because usually we live in family. So let's say a family member, like a husband has maybe four wives or five wives and they have kids. So that household is all, let's say, the last name is Green. It's like Green meaning Everybody in the house is called Green. So you coming in with a different last name, it's like you don't belong. There's some activities that you will not participate in because you're not a child of that household.
0: So it was clear growing up from an emotional standpoint, you were a stranger in a sense in the house. I mean, they knew who you were but you were not welcomed with open arms as if you were one of the kids. There was preferential treatment. You had, a, at a very young age, you had to experience a lack of control and the pain that comes from not really having control over the outcome of your own life.
2: Yes, basically.
0: So, I mean, you were thrown into a situation, you had very little control. Sounds like there was a lot of pain. Uh, Did you have your own room? Were you sharing a room with other people? What was that like?
2: No. So sometimes I would come in like as a child, just playing with other kids outside. And I just run in to go drink water. And there's a meeting about us, about me and my brother being returned. So I always thought, oh, so we don't belong here. It, and it really hurts as a child. I saw this meme uh on, uh, like saying on TikTok the other day. And it clicked to me. I was like, this is how it feels. Like, you don't know what pain is until you live in somebody's house who doesn't really want you there. And I was like, that was me. Like, that was like, that clearly explained my life. So I wasn't allowed to sleep on the bed. So I would lay on the floor. And when I say floor, I mean like sand floor, not like, c- like cement, not like carpet or anything. So me uh, sleeping on the floor, an eight year old, nine year old girl, I would have bed bugs. Sometimes worms will come and they will touch me. And I will just wake up. So my brother made me this touch light, flashlight, you guys call it here. And I'll just put, use batteries there. And that night, I'll just wake up and I'll kill the veil box on the wall. So I guess from there, I always, I, I was always obsessed with houses because I never really had my father's house. Sometimes when I visit for holidays, we would not eat sometimes. Sometimes we eat once a day. And sometimes when I go one time, it was a rainy season, the summer holidays. And we would have to get up because the water was coming inside the house. That's how so, old we were. So me laying down there as a girl, I always like, say i'm obsessed with houses so when i see friends from houses after school i like to go to the houses and i always wonder when i'm gonna get this house when i'm gonna buy a house but i didn't think buying multiple houses i just say just the idea of having a house
1: yeah yeah you mentioned in that tiktok well first of all thank you so much yamu for sharing i'm sorry no 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 um <laughs> uh... You mentioned in that TikTok that uh, when you're not wanted in the home, I think that's when you experience yeah. the pain, right? And so yeah. Yeah. I, I'm wanting to know, was that really the moment, that, that inspiration where you're like, I am going to find my own place one day. I'm going to have my own bed. Um, was that sort of the beginning of your your real estate dreams or, or did it come later on in life?
2: Yes, that's where it started. I always knew one day I'm going to make it and one day I'm going to buy a home. Like thats was my dream to say one day I also have a home and a bed, some like a house of my own
1: would you, is that your why is that today your why is like the reason you do all this is basically to to fulfill that dream
2: I have multiple wives what that but that's one of them
1: what else you got i want to know
2: poverty i don't i don't want to I don't want my child to go through any of those things that I went through ever
1: you know that's something as you were talking,
0: yamu, that I thought of for you growing up in a house I'm sure the The genesis of why people felt like they didn't want you guys there, they talked about you leaving, was there was not enough money to go around. There was none. If you were not eating maybe one time a day, they were incredibly financially stressed. And so you're a burden in a financial sense, you and your brother on this other family, and they're thinking from their flesh, is what's the easiest way to lighten my own load? And the emotional pain that has on someone else, as you experienced, was intense. Now, fast forwarding to where you are now, you have 90 units that you own and more under contract, you're making eighty thousand dollars a month. You've come a long way from sleeping on a floor, having to wake up to to kill bed bugs that were looking to crawl into where you were. Like I know, I just kind of gave a spoiler alert to everybody listening to this, but it is a fantastic story. This is like something right out of a comic book. Like, do you know that you're a superhero?
2: We shout was thank you.
0: Okay, well, we're gonna find out how you did this, right? Like what happened where I you went from just wanting a bed to owning multiple, multiple, almost a hundred units at this point.
1: Whenever I used to travel, I would get that creeping feeling that I locked my back door. How do I know my property is gonna be safe while I'm away? But not anymore, thanks to Simply Safe home security. I'm about to go on a three-week trip to Copenhagen, but am I tripping about my trip? Nope. With award-winning security and peace of mind from Simply Safe, I don't need to worry. If you're looking to make more from your vacation home, work with the reliable property manager, and finally have peace of mind, partner with Vacasa at vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. That's vacasa.com slash biggerpockets.
3: Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me. This is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP.
0: So let's go back a little bit again. We understand that life was challenging in other ways other than just financial, especially as a woman in a male-dominated society. Can you list some of the things that you were not supposed to accomplish?
2: Yes. So i, I this, is, this is not how the life of a, a girl from my village supposed to be i'm the only one that went to college in my village um for for where well, growing up a girl is supposed to just go to all the way to maybe middle school and then you're supposed to get married for me it was hard for my aunties to push and my sister to push for my uncles because the male have more say in a woman's life except when you're getting married your uncles take care of it so by the time i'm like 16 17 they're already thinking of arranged marriage they're already thinking of who you're gonna get married to is already arranged for you so for me, for them to even let me to go to high school, to college, was was a big deal. Talk less of coming to America by myself and not being married. So by the time I was in high school, most of my friends that I grew up, they already had two kids, already married and everything.
1: Yamu, did you have to fight to go to high school? Was that like a really big battle with sort of, I guess, your family or your extended family in the household? I mean, I, I got to imagine that probably didn't come easy, so...
2: Oh no, I didn't have to fight. My aunties had to fight. I had to go through my aunties. I don't have the audacity to stand up to my uncles. So my aunties will say, at least she's smart at school. The principal says she's really good. Cool. She has a scholarship. We're not spending any money. Just let her go. The same thing with college. It was like, she has a scholarship. Let her go. They begged. Okay, after this, we. I all, they, they already had the person of got get married to. I already knew who I was gonna get in my since I was a young girl, so it's pre arranged marriage. So you, I already knew they were like, okay, she knew, she she she's gonna marry this guy when she's done. So it was like, my I'd go to my auntie, my mother's sister, um, my mother's uh, elder sister, who's passed now, rest in peace. But she was fighting for me a lot, my sister.
1: Wow. Yeah. So you mentioned that you, uh, you know, obviously your why was the ability to eventually go on and have your own bed and own your home. And you said you don't want to uh, go back to poverty, and that was a, a big motivation for you. Yeah. Was that the same with school? Because you mentioned you're very good at school. This was something that that you worked hard at. Did you work hard? Like was school in your mind your ticket out at that at that moment? Did you know? Okay, if I if I really crush it in school? If I study and I get good grades, this could be my ticket out of this life?
2: So for me, I was like, okay, if I do so great and every exam I'm on top of my school, I will always have scholarship. So where, where I'm from is nepotism. For you to get scholarship, you have to be have a connection to the government or something. I have none of those connections. So the only way to get through is to be the best from my school, the best out of the outstanding one. So I was hoping if, we, if I can get to that top, they would not say, oh, we don't have money for her to go, or we don't have this. It would just be, oh, she has a scholarship. What are you, what are you losing? Like, it's nothing. Just, she's just going to go. And that's how it happened.
1: Wow. Okay. That, this is a, an amazing story. I'm, again, I thank you for, for the vulnerability here. Tell us a little bit about you know your first entry point into real estate. Was that here in the States? Was that back in Africa?
2: No. So it, it started in the, in the States here. I, okay. with Africa, I just knew that I was going to, one day I'm going to make it and buy a house. But at some point, I just wanted to get out because I, I, the more I go on my education, the more I know I, this is not what I want, I want more. So from high school, I know I want to go to college. So I was like, this is going to be a big deal for me to beg them to go to. So I have to do really good for me to get a scholarship to get it. So me, uh, I made it to college. I ever, because they eventually let me go to college, it was more like, okay, you have to be a doctor. It's but African families, they dictate your life. This like you're a woman. So it's like, you're going to be a doctor. I I I have good grades in chemistry, but I don't like biology and chemistry at all. And I don't like blood. So I was like, I have to figure a way away. So there was this program, computer science, that was introduced. Because I was good at math, it kind of clicked for me. And I was like, this is what I want to do. So I did a bachelor's in computer science and a minor in mathematics. So during my final semester. At this point, there was just few girls, or maybe two of us. I think two or one of us in a computer science class. So I would go to some classes all boys, right? So I was like, you know what? Let me start a non profit organization that's going to teach girls how to program, how to code, just basic IT skills. So I started this non profit organization. At that time, I wanted to have an internship at a software company in in the country there. So I will use their computers, and we will travel with the with the with my colleagues in the organization and teach girls basic IT skills, like how to create a calculator, how to create folders and stuff like that. So it kind of took off, and then different regions were doing it. So at that time, there was this program called uh, Mandela Washington Fellowship, and it's for young African leaders that that are doing amazing things in their communities, like fighting wars, helping women, violence, crime, all that stuff. So a lot of people would send me this link and say, you need to apply because you're doing amazing things. I'm like, I can't compare to what these people are doing. But okay, I'll just apply. And I applied and I keep going. First interview at the U.S. Embassy, I was selected. Second one, I moved on to the third one. And then they emailed me from D.C. and said, you got it. You're going to come to the U.S. You're going to come to the U.S. And we're going to place you at Northwestern. And after your fellowship, you meet President Obama in D.C. So that's how I came to the U.S. Yeah,
1: That is amazing. I mean, that was that... A dream come true, or was that you, was that so far out? Because like for me, I, I imagine you. Your dream was to go to college, but maybe I'm sure you never imagined this, right? So what did that feel like?
2: It was I was like a celebrity. My auntie was so happy, so that was also a ticket. So I was like, at that time, I was like, I'm not coming back to marry this guy. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, I, like, there's so many other things for me. There's more for me to to accomplish than just come back and get married. That's it. And and I and. That's what had happened. So, but then I was already applying for other scholarship at that time. So by the time the U.S. Embassy was processing and doing the orientation of how it's going to be when I meet the president and all that stuff, I was already applying for schools here in the U.S. And I got a full scholarship to study at, at the University of Illinois. And yeah, I was like, when I come back, I'm not going back. <laughs>
1: That's amazing. So you were studying um I guess computer science or you I so in Africa, right? And then you come to Northwestern and what are you studying at this point?
2: It was business. Business and entrepreneurship. Yep.
1: Okay, and so you um obviously you you crush it, you make it, you finish the program and you go into these respective careers or is this when your your real estate journey begins?
2: Yes. So I was, I had to find roommates. So what happened was my, my whole class mostly, what their parents will do is get them a place and then they will rent out the rooms, more like rent out the spaces in the room. So in one room, you can have, they could, so let's say the rent is $800, right? Or $1,000. They will rent out each room. They will rent out to international students to sleep (laughs) on there. So the, the whole concept of uh, renting a room is more like renting a space. So you get your mattress and you share the one room with three other girls. So we were paying rent to them while they pay, take the money, make profit and take that money and pay their mortgage. cheap.
0: We call that arbitrage. I was gonna say, it's the ultimate house hack.
1: House hack <laughs> arbitrage.
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay, so it sounds like you saw that happening And instead of thinking, well, I'm being ripped off or that's not fair, they're charging more than they have to, you thought, oh, I want to be in that person's position. I want to own the asset and I want to be renting out to people, right?
2: Oh, yeah. I was like, this is an amazing idea. I was like, I'm going to do this one day. So I even when I was starting searching for my first property, I was looking for a property that has more than one unit. So yes. that way I can yes. I can do <laughs> more rooms too. I
0: love that. See, your data scientist brain was like, Okay, the pattern that I need to catch on is a property with more than one unit, more than one bedroom, a lot of spaces that can be rented as opposed to a pretty kitchen or a nice backyard or you know, the things that everybody else is. Oh, I love the oak tree in the front yard. You're like, No, 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 there's no space in an Excel spreadsheet for an oak tree. I need to see the place that I can get the most beds into this unit. I love that. When did you start trying to invest in real estate yourself?
2: Yes. So after I graduated, of course, I don't have any savings, but I don't have student debt. Right. And of course, coming as an international student, you get a social security. But I never knew anything about credit because I live in a school setting. I work for the school. I go home, study, come back well for school, go home, study, come back, go to class. That's all I knew. So there was no introduction to credit or anything, credit score. So I have a debit card that the bank gave me that I get my thousand dollars from. That's it. So I don't have any credit. But again, when I graduated, I had a job to work for the CDC in Atlanta. So I moved from Illinois to um, Atlanta, Georgia, to work for the CDC as a data scientist. First couple of months, I started September 2019. Just a few months later, COVID happened. But before COVID happened, I've already started doing my research because I was like, I've never made that much money that I had, right? Mm-hmm. At that time, I have saved up 8,000. I'm like, I'm ready by then because I love reading. So I went and said, okay, my first paycheck, of course, I have to send money back home. And as an immigrant, you can ask any immigrant, especially from Africa, if you travel to the US or travel abroad, you will like the ticket. So everybody depends on you. Every you have to take care of your family and stuff. I'm like, this is not going to work out where I just work and send money and that's it. But when does it stop? And how When do I save? So I said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to take all what I save and then start investing in real estate. And of course, before thinking of, I already knew I would do this day, but I don't have the knowledge. So what I did was I Googled, went on YouTube, and I see bigger pockets coming up a lot. So this <laughs> oh, is me. Yeah. <laughs> of course. And David, David and Brandon, every Wednesday, you guys have this, uh, event that you do. That's me in there every day listening. I'm, at work, I'm listening to the podcast. I'm cooking. I'm listening to the podcast. I'm in the train going to work. I'm listening to the podcast. So, by the time I was already had so much information, I said, okay, they said the best way to get funding, of course, funding was number one, is to go and work with local banks. I was like, okay, I cannot afford Georgia, of course, at that time. It's like, let me start with where I saw what I wanted to do, which is Illinois. So I looked at properties in that area, the same city that I went to college in, uh, Springfield, and it didn't. I, I wasn't finding properties. So I called different cities, different uh, banks in the city. Made a list and I call each of them every day. I'll make different calls and I get a lot of no's, but I'm used to getting no's. I didn't let that stop me. So I finally got one bank to listen to me and I say, I just started working see, see, This is how much I make. This is just my base salary, but I'm going to get more as I go. And this is how much 8,000 is what I saved up. I'm ready. I'm buying, looking for properties in this private room. So I already have my document. And my speech ready for when I call what I say.
1: And how many how many banks did you call Yamu?
2: Uh it's a lot of banks. I think I listed all of that. I just went on Google and I listed all the banks. And
1: then finally you got one that, that would hear your story.
2: Yeah. So so she actually uh she wasn't the well, she's the vice president of the bank now, but before she wasn't. So she was like, Well, I know you I know you got all these great things and you know how to analyze properties and you know you you know what you want, what aspect you want to go to. However, you don't have any credit score. What you can do is go get a discover credit card, capital One credit card, and build your credit score, and then you can come back in six months or like in one year. So I was like, okay, at least she get to listen to me. And then I was like, you know what? Because every day I'm analyzing this. I'm a bigger project analyzing this every day. I was like, I got this. This took me a chance. So what I did was I was like, this is what I would do. I found a property that was listed for $52,000. It was a um, the owner, the owners were going through a divorce, and they were desperate to sell. Right, they wanted to get rid of it. They wanted to separate and do all of that stuff. So I was like, okay, found this property. I went on the contract even before <laughs> approaching the lady. So I approached her back and say, I found this property. It's fifty two thousand. It's three units, it, it, two bedrooms are this are rented for seven fifty. One bedroom is rented for this much. Even if one only one unit is rented. My mortgage would not be, I have still cash flow. So I wrote the numbers down because I ran it in the calculator and everything makes sense. So I submitted to her and then I called her. I submitted by email first and then I called her. She was like, you know what, we'll give you a chance. And they were like, we'll finance it. And that's how it happened.
1: Okay, so you call, uh, you go down a list of basically every bank uh, in the city you keep hearing no, 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 but not a big deal because you're used to hearing no's. So you just keep going. Finally, someone is willing to hear you out. And before you actually get the pre-approval or the approval from them, you find this house and you say, I'm just going to I'm just gonna make an offer. I'm going to get it under contract and I'll figure out the financing later. And so you get it under contract and then you go to your banker. You're like, hey, I got it. Hello, can you approve me? And they're like, all right, we're going to make an exception for you. And then they basically fund the loan.
2: Yeah, they funded it. They were like, Well, the reason why we did it is because it's not like your credit score is bad. You just don't have history. Right. So, I, because my credit is fresh, so it doesn't have history, but it's not bad. And I don't have any other debt. I don't have any other expenses. I don't own a car at the time. I don't, I'm not paying anything except those two credit cards she told me. And I was already paying those off for two months before she was like, Okay, we'll do it.
1: Wow. That's amazing. So, you buy this property and you said, All right, even if I just, Rent one, I'm going to cash flow. What ended up happening? Did that property end up filling up more than that? How many units was it?
2: It's three units and it's a a two-bedroom. It's a mix of two-bedroom, one-bedroom. Everything that could go wrong in a deal went wrong in the property. Turned out the property manager, the numbers that the, the agent sent me were wrong. The tenants were not actually paying because it's a COVID at this time. I closed on that property April 17. It was already shut down already. This is COVID time. There, t- there. One tenant that was about to leave, and and there, there's another tenant that uh, has not paid for like one year, and then there was one unit that was vacant. So them telling me they fully occupied. It was bringing this much was for the lot. So what I did was the unit that was the tenant was about to leave was in a better shape. So we just I just painted that, just basic cleaning and painting, and then rented that out. So while was that, that was rented, the rent was coming in after there was an announcement that the government is going to, the city were giving out to people that were behind on rent. So remember that the the landlord and everyone has lied to me already at that point. So the tenant that was, that, that was supposed to get that amount of money, about eight months worth of rent was sent to me directly because it was supposed to be an application between the landlord and the tenant. So we applied together and she got 8,000. So I took that 8,000 and I put it, to renovate the other units. And now it's cash flow for 2000 a month. And my mortgage is only $300. Wow,
1: that's amazing. Okay, yeah. so, so a bit of a rocky start. Um, but then you're able to sort of work it out. And out of curiosity, because you said at this time, you were working for the CDC, right? Uh-huh. Okay, so was this like particularly a difficult time? Because obviously you're working for the CDC, COVID is happening. I'm sure you're busy doing your your actual job, and then you're also getting into real estate. Everything is going wrong, so you're trying to have it. You, obviously, you have to balance everything. Was that overwhelming, or was it like you know no no big deal?
2: It was overwhelming, but it taught me so much. So at that time. In my my team, everyone well, everyone in my team is a is a is a lab scientist who so work in the lab. I'm the data scientist, so every time a lab scientist go into the lab, let's say they go at two a.m., I have to be up by four a.m. to run the data so they can run it, to the, they can get the report to send it to a particular state. So imagine all the data that's coming on all fifty yeah, states about COVID. Yeah, it was a lot. So I will be up at four a.m. I will have my laptop waiting to analyze data while I'm also checking my real estate and trying to figure out what the numbers and everything. So it was not easy at all, but I was still listening to podcasts. I never get, I was already in, I had to figure it out, but right. it was not an easy time. Yep. It was it. Right.
1: Whenever I used to travel, I would get that creeping feeling that I locked my back door. Are you managing a multifamily property and looking to elevate your resident's living experience? Introducing Quantum Fiber Internet, your go-to choice for speedy internet your residents will love. The process is as seamless as Quantum Fiber service. Starting at just $50 a month, your residents can enjoy fast, reliable internet that will make them love where they live even more. Connect with your local Fiber representative today. Learn more at q.com slash go big. I wonder how they got that domain. That's q.com slash go big. Limited availability. Service and rate in select locations only. Taxes and fees apply. 360 Wi-Fi and other equipment lease charges, taxes and fees are excluded from price for life offer and may be increased. PropStream also provides lead automation, skip tracing, and a marketing suite with emails, postcards, and custom landing pages to close more deals efficiently. Get started today with their seven-day free trial and get fifty leads for free. Head on over to www.propstream.com/bp. That's www.propstream.com/bp. Your competitors are fighting for your customers' attention. So how do you you stand out? Easy, constant contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. Reach new audiences, grow your customer list, sell more, raise more, and fast-track your growth. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business through email and SMS marketing, social media, and even events management. Don't know much about marketing? Don't sweat it. Because Constant Contact's writing assistance tools and automation features help you say the right thing at the right time, every time. And with my boot camps and live events, I just don't have the time to clone myself. So I just let Constant Contact do the marketing for me and you should too. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact. Helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. And so you go on to buy more properties, but you, you said that you were sort of struggling. You were kind of saving and maybe you had to send a little money to your family back home, and then you had to renovate this property. So how did you keep saving money or how did you save money to keep buying more property? Was there a specific skill or strategy that you developed?
2: Yeah. So when the, when I got that first property stabilized, I, I was like, okay, what next thing I need to do is move on, because I don't I don't ha- I'm not having any much cash flow coming in at that time. So the property was actually cash flowing a lot, like two thousand a month. But however, I'm not getting the, the money. Like it's going back to the property manager. Turns out the property manager was stealing from me. Every time I talked to him, he was he 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 said he uses his card to to pay his contractor because most property managers come with their own team. So he said he paid his contract. For example, they say he said I paid the contractor five thousand to do the flooring and paid for this for this unit, right? And and I and I will just do that my calculation. Like the numbers are not making sense, but I know that it's cash flowing, right? Because the tenants are paying at this point. And uh, my con- my property manager always say. Oh Chester, this or oh, Chester that, so I know the, the contractor's name is Chester. Of course, I'm not, I'm a data scientist. If I want to find data anywhere, I would find it. So I went and researched on him. It's a small town. I researched on him. I found him, and I was like, "Hey, my name is Yamu. I know that you are, you don't have to answer these questions, but I have this property in this place. And this is the address, and I know you walked on it." So he responded back and said, "Yes, I will." I was like, "Can I can we jump on a call?" And he was like, "Yeah, sure." So I asked him. I was like. Does this receipt make sense? Did you charge me this much? He said, well, I don't know. It's an honest guy, older guy. He was like, I don't know how much you guys talked about, about your contract, but I will never charge these prices. And, uh, and and this other receipt is not even for your property. This is for another property. So it turns out that he was charging me, giving, sending me receipts because I'm out of state investor, right? He was sending me receipts off other properties that he was working on, and I was just paying for that. So I fired him. And of course, I stayed with the contractor, and he's he's a full time contractor for me now. We have an amazing relationship. So even though everything went wrong, I got my team from there, and he's made me millions. So wow, I learned, <laughs> I learned, and I have been with him ever since. Worked on all my properties.
1: It must have been actually great, though, that he ended up being a lot cheaper than you thought, right? <laughs> so whenever you yeah. used him again, it was actually more affordable. So uh, how, how was it working with him? I mean, was he, because you said you work with him to this day. Was he a large part of a lot of the projects that you went on to go and, and work on?
2: Oh, yeah. He worked at all my properties in Illinois. So I invested on in, and uh, meet with Illinois, uh, Cleveland, uh, uh, Ohio, Illinois, and Georgia here. So all my properties, majority of my properties are in Illinois. He worked on all of them. Wow. But that's how I scaled. And, and then, yeah. So scaling from that property after finding him, I was like, okay, I'm not going to find a deal. That's as amazing as the 52 unit, $52,000 property. That's three units that I placed for almost 90,000 after a few months of fixing it. So I went, I was like, okay, where else could I invest in? Of course, I went back to bigger pockets at this time. I'm so active. So I was like, what do I do next? So a lot of investors were talking about, but especially California investors who are buying Cleveland. So I reached out to them, Hey, my name is Yang. I'm a new investor. I'm looking to invest in Cleveland. So I get a lot of responses. So we'll say, don't invest here. This is the A area. This is the B area. This is the C area. But the area that they're recommending for me to invest in, I can't afford that. So I was like, I'll stick with a C, D area and then grow up from there. And that's what I did. So I found this duplex in Cleveland that's listed for 68000 So the owner has listed two of them, actually. So I wanted both of them because at this time, my cash flow at my property is Section 8, like all three units. Cash flow is coming in, the bank is impressed with that. So again, I bid the documentation, put all the numbers together, and I sent it to them. They were like, yeah, we'll finance it.
1: And this was your second deal, right? Your second and third second deal in the two yeah. duplex? Yep. Okay, cool.
2: Yep, yep, yep. So the bank was like, yeah, we'll finance it. Even if it's out of state, the numbers look great. 68000 mortgage was two, $250 something. I was, it's two units. One uh, was 7 something. So when the other one was 6 something. So I was getting like 1345 or 1350 or something like that. And the, the tenant paid all the utilities. I only pay water and sewer.
1: Okay, so walk us through this really fast. Your first property, you said you bought it for like 55000 You fix it up. It appraises for 90000 So you've built in $40,000 of equity. You're like, okay, I think, I think I experienced probably the worst part of it. I'm going to do it again. And then you go and buy two duplexes and the bank finances those. And then just for, for reference, how many units did you actually end up adding to your whole portfolio in year one?
2: In year one, I think about... Maybe at least seven. Wow. I think seven or eight. Yeah.
1: First year of real estate investing with no foundation, other than listening to Bigger Pockets and doing research and everything like that, listening to, to the great uh, David Green and Brandon Turner, and you're like, okay, I'm going to do this. And then you go out and you buy seven properties. So you get that first one, two duplexes. Tell us about the next four really fast.
2: Yeah. So the next one, I was like, okay, at this point, I'm getting cash flow. I'm getting a lot of cash flow and I just got promoted like my job. So I was like, okay. From this, I want to scale more. What can I do, right? So at this point, I'm looking at. I was like, "How about I take the cash flow, wait few months, and buy a really cheap house?" So I already built a relationship with that contractor. So what I did was, I I found this property for like fifteen thousand. It was it was also a foreclosed property, so I got it for cheap. They probably got it for less than that, but I got it for cheap, and it was a five bedroom, two bath. So my contractor charged me nine thousand to fix it up. Even even at that point I don't have 9000, I think I have like 3000 at that point that I have in my savings and the rest I was expecting it to come from the cash flow because I'm getting, you know, 2000 here and 1300 over there. So I was going to pay him in installment. So that's how I got that. Once once I fixed it up, I rented it on Section 8 as well. And then I had equity in that property. So the bank was like you can pull out equity from your property if you want to scale. And that's how I did that.
1: David, th- there's a term for doing that, right? When you when you I like think fix think up she- a property and then you take the money out, <laughs>
0: yeah. And there's also a method to scaling, both of which can be found at biggerpockets.com/store by yep. checking for the burr book or the scale book. You know, Yamo, I wanted to ask, <laughs> did you get these ideas? Because you're kind of like tinkering with different real estate investing strategies. You've got the arbitrage thing you talked about, rent by the room, section eight, a little bit of long distance investing as well. You've been working into this, right? Did all of this come from bigger pockets?
2: Yes, it did, and I know you're gonna ask me in the end what's my favorite book, and I have it here. <laughs> so this makes sense to me because I live in Atlanta. At the time, there's no way I can afford properties in Atlanta at that time, mm-hmm. especially with the credit score. So I could only afford outside. Like it doesn't have to be your background, and I me learning that from bigger. Bar, I was like, whoa, a light bulb went. I was like, of course I can do it as thing. But a lot of people that I talked to, even at work, my colleagues, they were like, there's no way you can. Being a landlord's hard. You cannot fix a toilet while you're out of state. And I'm like, there is the method. I've already read and I've listened to multiple people do it. Why can't I do it?
0: Well, when you mentioned that you found the better property manager that allowed you to scale, that's what I thought of was sometimes we just kick around trying to figure out this is going wrong. That's going wrong. And it affects your emotions. You just don't, you're not excited about buying more real estate because it feels like just nothing but problems. You got ripped off by the first contractor. That would make anybody want to quit, right? Like once you get your heart broke, you don't want to love again. You don't want to put yourself out there and find somebody else. So you just quit. But when you found the right person, it changed your process to be emotionally excited instead of emotionally discouraged. And so the core four, I'm sure really helped. Can you remind me, where were you at with passive income at the end of year two?
2: by uh, year 2, uh, you 2 by 80,000 because I'm I'm this April, this last April is my third year of invested. So by 2022 I was making like 80,000.
0: That's gross rents, correct? That's not your profit. No, no,
2: that's no, that's that's profit. Wow.
1: You're making 80,000 profit after your second year.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's profit. Wow,
1: after your second year. What about your first what was your first year? Do you know off the top of your head?
2: I think the first year I was close to like 6, 7,000. But then what happened was I got a package deal, so it escalated fast. With that package deal, some of the units turnover was like two weeks, three weeks. So my contractors would actually go into the unit and leave there, the property and leave there. So they would stay there for that two weeks while while they fixed it. So I was renovating houses faster. So what happened was it, the reason why I scaled faster, so I took that second job as a, a statistical programmer for LabCorp. It's a six-figure job. I did the interview. I didn't think I was going to get it. The next day they called me, they were like, You're amazing. You can start on day. I was like, Okay. So I got that six-figure job. So I was dumping all that money into buying more real estate. So I was buying packages at this point and just throwing them on such a you
1: So you're, you're working a full-time job for the CDC. You join, you have like a mastermind with people from the bigger pockets community. They're like, We all have two jobs. You should have one too. And you're like, All right, sure. You go, you apply, you get a six-figure job. And then they're like, Yeah. So now you're making really good W-2 income. And instead of spending it, going out and just having fun, you're like, I'm just going to put it all into houses.
2: Everything, everything into houses. So I'll buy package deal, five units package deals, uh, six unit here, five, uh, five single properties. So I was just doing and sleeping them.
1: Okay. All right. So you, um, all right. So you said your first year passive income, six, 000, seven thousand or something like that. Year two, it goes from six, 000, seven thousand dollars of passive income a year, right? And the year two, it's eighty thousand dollars of passive income. Yes. Are those numbers right? Yes. Okay.
2: The reason why it got to 80000 is because at this time, COVID had happened, 2021, everybody's talking about 2021, 2021 2022, everybody's talking about Airbnb, short-term rentals. So in Atlanta, everybody was talking about it. so it's like social media. So my social media page, what I did was I created a new page and I followed just the real estate, everything that has to do with real estate. So I get a lot of people advertising about, you know, you can get a property, you can, you can do uh, Airbnb without owning a property. I was like, hmm, okay. So I looked into that, buy a few courses here, and there, a $100 here, 150 here, and I joined these masterminds. I was like, I'm just going to jump in and do it. I created an LLC just like the, the courses would say, and I approached apartment complex here. So I was like, how about I get these in my LLC name and I can advertise it? So I got one unit, I advertised it, and my and. Two weeks, three weeks into into it, or three months into it, I got a booking for forty thousand dollars. So the company booked <laughs> oh, for this nice. guy. Yeah, the company booked for him from New York. He's gonna be working in Atlanta a whole year. So it's like forty four thousand dollars. And I was like, "This is a no-brainer. So I got multiple. Now I have eight units in Atlanta.
1: That's really cool. So you're let me just clarify something. When you said your year two, your passive income was eighty thousand. Was that eighty thousand per month or per uh, year? It's per month, so. Oh my gosh.
2: Yeah. So my section is we're bringing in about fifteen, sixteen thousand, right? Uh-huh. And then I was making my yeah, I was making about forty something thousand on 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 uh, Airbnb with the multiple properties.
1: Wow. Okay. So okay. So year two is eighty thousand per month. I thought it was per year, and I was like, oh, eight thousand bucks a month. I mean, most people work for like ten years to get to that level just $8,000 a month. So you're getting $80,000 per month. Um, Yeah. And so you get into the Section 8 game, you get into medium-term rentals, and you do arbitrage. Were any of those your favorite, or were they all just like fun because it's all just new?
2: Section 8 was more of uh, a dream to give a family a home. The midterm rentals were more of me buying and scaling. So... Why when I in twenty twenty one when I was buying when I was doing the arbitrage, I was like, okay, I already have a uh bad run real estate where I own my own properties. How about I take this money instead of renting from apartment complex here, how about I buy my own apartment complex That's why that's how the eighty thousand came about for month. So what I did was I was like, okay, I'm gonna take this method and align landed the the arbitrage, but use the money to buy my own apartment complex. There's a single families and renting on section eight. So I found this property that's listed for in the same city that I I invest in my uh, section A. I got I found this property that was listed for 145. It was abandoned for two years, and the landlord just wanted to sell and get it rid of it. So there was a fire incident that happened, and he was going through a lot of violations. So he had the city removed most of the violations, but it was almost at the end. So when I came in, I offered 120, and he. 120 and he accepted at closing I got about 5,000 again I approached the bank and I told them the method that I'm doing so I always keep I had this relationship with the bank already I always make sure they know what I'm doing so I told them about the the short time rental big time rental and they were like that's not gonna work in a small city like this what they don't know is that property works for me because at this point I have experience with travel nurses so that property was between two hospitals 1.6 one, 1. 1.6 miles from one, another, one hospital and 1.2 miles from another hospital is perfect for me. I did the analysis, the market research, and most of the people that were renting to travel nurses there were like a mom's and pops. So let's say a family has a basement and they were renting it to travel or a shared room or something. I would say, well, if I have this property with eight units and multiple mixture of single one bedrooms and studios, I could do that too. So that's how I, the bank was like, we thought you were crazy, but this is, this is amazing number. <laughs> so with that property that helped me scale to 20,000. Cause when I, when, when I had my contractor going there and he leaves one album from that city, he came in there. He gave me a quote for 85,000. So I gave it to the bank. They were like, okay, we'll finance it. So of course I put 20% down and my contractors, they gave me, they were like, it's a lot of work that it needs. What you can do, what we can do is waste the, you know, to give you a grace period of three months. So you don't pay, you only pay interest. That's amazing. So my contractor was like, we will move it. I will fix it from up and move our way down. So while they were fixing, but let's say they fixed two units, I'll furnish it and have nurses, already. I will list it and have nurses already come in. So by the time it was, it was almost complete. I wasn't paying, in, I was only paying interest, no mortgage. That property alone brings me 22,000. That's how I scaled to the 80. Wow.
1: 22,000 a month.
2: A month. twenty two, twenty three, twenty four here.
1: Yeah, you know, just yeah, just twenty two to twenty four thousand, like no, no big deal. Be conservative. Yeah,
2: so my mortgage was just twelve hundred, and then each unit, <laughs> each unit, I pay like utilities for hundred, uh, one thousand two hundred with my mortgage, and each unit utilities is like a hundred dollar, one hundred and ten, one hundred and twenty, something like that.
0: Okay, I've got I got two questions I want to ask. The first is, do you have one person managing all these assets in different locations, or are you doing that yourself?
2: No, so I Cleveland, I have a property manager. Cleveland properties, remember, they came in with tenant occupied already. So I was managing for a while. But when I was scaling with uh, Midtown Rentals here, I have to find somebody to manage it. So I have a property manager in Cleveland. And of course, in each of the cities, the closest cities will have one property manager.
0: Yeah, you really are following the long distance real estate. And then you oh, yeah. you manage those individual property managers, right? Oh, Yes. Okay. Next question. How are you running your numbers? Like, right. You've got a different approach to this, and I'm I'm curious if your data scientist background led to you looking at things differently, but can you share what your system looks like when a property comes your way and a bank thinks, well, this is all the income it would generate? You're able to generate more than that. What are you doing differently?
2: Yes. Yeah, so I, I this is how I run my numbers, right? If, if the numbers don't make sense, I'm not going to push it just to say I have this unit. For Section 8, I want to get at least 800 to to 1000 profit, right? Because it comes with more work, more attention and everything. With short-term rentals, I was just looking to scale. So it depends on how much I furnish it. If I'm going to put $2,000, $3,000 or up, up to $5,000 per unit, I want to get at least $1,000. So with Atlanta, I could get all the way profit to 2000 especially at the peak season, per profit per door. So that's how I run it, depending on how the property was, with, uh, section eight, section eight, I'm looking at at least a thousand because it needs more work mm. and I have to have paid a property manager maintenance, of course. So I include all of that. So. That's how I run the numbers.
0: Okay. And I'm going to assume you're also factoring in they need to cash flow more because in some of these areas you're buying in, you mentioned C to D areas. They're not going to appreciate as much and the headache factor is higher. So you have to make up for that by getting more cash flow to make the juice worth the squeeze, so to speak. And that's where you came up with these numbers, right? Yes. For people who hear this and they think, I want to do what she's doing, which I'm sure everybody's going to be thinking, what are some of the challenges that people need to be aware of if you want to grow a portfolio the way you grew yours?
2: There's so many challenges you're going to go through. Crappy contractors, there's no investor that's going to tell you, oh, yeah, I have one contractor from day one, never stole from me nothing. (laughs) I went through crappy contractors (laughs) to get there. Property managers, even though you have a property manager... Doesn't mean you don't manage. You still have to run the numbers to make sure this makes sense. Because if I didn't do that, I wouldn't know that a property manager was stealing from me or even sending me receipts of other properties, right? There's it's not it's not an easy day, easy way out. You have to figure it out. You have to run the numbers. And of course you have to always analyze deals for it to mm-hmm. make sense. If it doesn't make sense, you can't force it.
0: There's also I'm hearing you mention there's a lot of management that goes into the properties once you have them. You have to look very close, which I think you learned at a relatively early stage because in one of your first deals or the first deal, you were taken advantage of. Yes. That separated you from this idea of passive income that you just bought it, forgot it, And there's nothing more to it. That rhyme, maybe we need to start saying that. But you have to pay attention to your investments, that it's not a thing that runs itself. Like It's often described that you buy a property, it's turnkey, it makes money, and you just go have fun on the beach or vacation everywhere. And your real estate pays for all of it. You don't have to still work. Has that been your experience or has it been more like it's a second
1: job? Or or a third job for Yamu. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I, well now now that I've I, well not mastered it, but now that I've learned I've gone through so much mistakes and I've learned, I can say I can go chill at the beach now. So I've mm-hmm. got everything in place. I have a property managers in place, I have systems in place, I've automated things. But the beginning, no, you have to actually work the business to actually make it work. You can't just buy and just forget it. There's so many things that is involved with it. Yeah. So now I do daily day-to-day stuff like I have a VA that go through my function finder messages. I have property managers that do all I do now is sign leases and analyze this.
1: So, Yami, you're, you know, obviously you you came from Africa. I got to imagine that the tax code is very different there than it is here. Um, So, you come here, you're crushing it, you're making $80,000 a month, you have two full time jobs, you're making six figures on the W 2 side of things. Tell me a little bit about your tax situation once you actually started really making money? Was this like a big shakeup for you where you're like, oh my gosh, I have to pay the government money? Like, what what was that whole situation like?
2: That, that's that's a really good question. Like, it's a shock coming from Africa when we don't pay taxes like that. So the beginning, I, have, I had already had my son. And because I wasn't making a lot, I actually get to Get a tax refund. I was like, "This is America. This is amazing. America is nice." At the end of the tax, you get money. Then I started investing in real estate, and then when CPA tells me you're gonna be paying the IRS thirty thousand dollars, I was like, "What?" It was like, <laughs> I was like, "No." But in real estate, when you invest, you get to save. It was like, "No," but you not when you make millions. And I was like, "What?" That's when I realized, like, uh, what my tax, tax bracket was. And then he said, "And also, your W two is not helping because you have two W twos that are paying you six figure now." And I was like, "Oh my god!" So he <laughs> said, "If it wasn't for real estate, you would be paying way more to to IRS than what you're." So the real estate is actually saving you. And then I was like, "Yeah, this is this can continue. I can't pay the IRS this much." So of course, I let the four months ago, I let the Laco joke go, and I just stick with the CDC one. Because now it doesn't really make sense coming, having that kind of cash flow. Especially when I added my Savannah properties here that are bringing me about 15000 16000 a month in just Savannah, Georgia. I was like, it doesn't make sense for me to get two jobs now. So I let it go.
1: Well, it's also probably really hard to achieve real estate professional status uh, with two full-time jobs and being the real estate thing. I know that there's always conflicting stuff on that. So um, this always reminds me of that. There's a meme out there that's like, it's the U.S. government. They're like, "All right, you have to pay us taxes." And then you're like, "How much?" And they're like, "We don't know." And it's like, "Okay, what happens if I pay you too little?" And they're like, "Oh, you owe us a lot of money if you do. We'll fine you." And it's like, "What if I pay too much?" And it's like, "We won't tell you. You have to figure that out for yourself." And that's that really is exactly what the the tax system is. It's like you don't know until your CPA is like, "Here you go. You owe thirty, forty thousand dollars." Um. So you you quit your job and did you figure out tax strategies or anything that was saving you money? Uh, in the long run, like, were you doing any kind of cost segregation or any depreciation to knock down your tax bill?
2: Yeah, so my CPA that I hired does all of that for me, and then we uh, we have uh, meetings every quarter. So he tells me and project how much I'm gonna be. Um, I'll have that. I remember one time it was like, you have, you have about sixty, forty, sixty thousand dollars that you need to spend before November, and I was like, <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so I just dumped it on a property. I bought a property for forty thousand more house. I fixed it up. It appears for $200,000.
0: <laughs> it sounds like Rob's tax strategy. He's just like that. I owe how much? I'm going to go buy something right now.
1: Yeah, exactly. I'm like, all right. Let's write it off, baby. It's a write off. You guys ever seen that shit's creek where he's like buying everything and they're like, you can't just keep buying it and saying it's a write off. I'm like, it's a write off.
2: It's a write off. Who pays for it? The government. The government. The, the write off people.
1: people. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> 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 so let me get a recap of
0: your overall portfolio, Yamu. You have Cleveland properties and those are mostly Section 8, correct? Uh-huh. Okay, you have Savannah, Georgia properties. How are those being operated?
2: So those are uh, midtown rentals.
0: And then where else other than Savannah and Cleveland?
2: So I have uh Illinois, I have Springfield, I have Champaign, Urbana-Champaign, all that sub-areas in Illinois. So I have like eight units here and there, five units. Those are all, so since I got the eight unit, it makes sense because I was getting so many inquiries for travel nursing and I'm not able to get the replacement because it, it's all booked out. I was like, I need another one. So I got a, another apartment company and I got another one. And I got another one. I, got another one I kept going. <laughs> that's so cool. So I have a mix of shelf time rentals. I have a mix of mid rentals, rentals, uh, Section 8.
1: Okay, and how many units total are, are we at now?
2: So I have 33, 33 doors, including the one that I just bought here. So that's 34.
1: Wow. So you have about 34 doors now. 34, I think, is what you said. uh uh-huh. When you were a kid, you sleeping on the floor, all you wanted was a bed of your own in a house. Yes. How does it feel to to achieve what you've achieved
2: it's it's unreal like it's sometimes like this is me this is and sometimes and this is why I give a lot especially when it comes to my team. so I know where I started, right? It's just so real for me, but I always knew that I wanted just one house, I wanted a nice bed, I wanted to experience what other kids experienced that I did it, but I never knew beyond my imagination this is all God's work. God put me in this place to actually buy houses, fix them up, and give it to families. That's why I said earlier, I mentioned with Section 8 is more of me housing kids like me or someone who could not buy their own home. And then the sub rentals just came into play. But it's so fulfilling full for me.
1: That's really cool. Is a eight, 8-year-old uh, you proud of of Yamu?
2: Yes. I am very proud of myself. I'm so grateful to God.
1: Well, you mentioned uh, the, the tips with keeping your contractor happy. I'd love to end with that. If you have anything, anything you can share with the audience uh, about strengthening that relationship with your contractor and keeping them happy, I'd love to hear it.
2: Just to, just to say this, my husband says when my, fo- when my contractor calls, my phone rings, I'm, I'm so eager to take the call that anyone else, including him, I was like, well, he made me <laughs> millions, you did it. <laughs> when they're walking, I buy lunch. When they send me pictures and I'm so happy with the work and I'm like, "There's on me. So they're staying there. Yeah. And also I stock their fridges, buy groceries and send it because they stay there when they fix from the properties with his guys. So those are nice things. And I upgrade his phone. He's an older guy. Doesn't like technology. <laughs> and just little things like that.
1: That's really cool. Yeah, you got to take care of your contractors. I mean, finding a contractor that you click with is hard already, but finding a contractor that you can click with for five years is even harder. And I think, uh, yeah, got to keep them happy so that you can keep a lifelong of home building and home renovation going, you know? Well, Yamu,
0: I think that we're all floored after listening to what you've done. I mean, you talk about it so nonchalant that you're doing this well. I mean, the collective jaws of the bigger pocket sphere have dropped as they were listening to this. We will definitely need to have you back to dive deeper into some of this because there's so many elements from the power of your story to the way that you've scaled, to the passive income you're making, to the systems that you've set up, to how bigger pockets helped you learn all this. I think so many of us listen to this and we only see the reasons that it can't work. And you came in and said, wait, you're going to give me all this information for free. And you went and put it to play. And what do you know? You're one of the most successful investors that we have ever interviewed and how many years has it been
2: it's going to be three years april 17 <laughs>
0: yeah there's people that take three years and can't finish one of the books i just like i don't even know how to put into words what this has been like it's just fantastic and i really appreciate you sharing your story are there any last tips that you'd like to leave with our audience who are struggling to get started
2: it's just to start and not like like bigger pocket said analysis paralysis if you stay there, you don't actually jump and do execution, it's not going to work out. You can listen to all the podcasts. You can read all the books. You can go to all the dead working effects. You can do all of that. But if you know, actually, actually execute, it's not going to happen. And I know it's scary, but you have to do it. Yeah.
0: Well, when you grow up without a bed, I don't think you're as scared of failure as somebody who has never faced that level of adversity. And the littlest amount of rejection seems overwhelming. So, yeah, I just I mean, who would have thought that those bed bugs would someday be a blessing but like, maybe that could be the title of your book, How Bed Clugs Become Blessings When You Write It, because you definitely need to. Rob, any, any last minute thoughts from you?
1: No, just wanted to thank you, Yamu. I appreciate the vulnerability and the openness that you had with this. I know it's like probably hard to talk about sometimes, especially, you know, coming onto bigger pockets. But I think there will be hundreds of thousands of people that listen to this podcast and their life will, will change because of your story. So I just want to thank you.
2: Thank you so much. And
0: thank you again to Yamu for sharing her story and her success with us. One other happy note to add here. Yamu welcomed a new baby girl to her family shortly after this interview. She and her family are growing and are all doing well.
1: Well, I can tell you firsthand that this angry elf is now a warm and cheery elf. And thanks to all of you for listening and for making the Bigger Pockets community what it is. We're excited to bring you more new shows coming up and throughout 2024. And uh, for everyone listening, have a wonderful rest of the year.
0: This is David Green for Rob, the no longer angry elf Abba Solo, signing off.